All right, everybody, welcome to Valley Creek. Come on, we are so glad that you are here with us today. Whatever campus you're at, whether you're in Denton, Louisville, Flower Mound, the venue, watching online somewhere in the world, come on, can we just welcome each other together? Come on, we are so glad that you are here with us today. And whether this is your first time with us, maybe you haven't been in a while, maybe you're here every single weekend, we are so glad that you are here. We believe God has something great for you today. And it is back to school week. It's back to school. And one of the things that I love about back to school season is that it reminds us what an incredible opportunity we have with the next generation. See, what I love about our church is that we have a heart for the next generation, that we believe that our ceiling becomes their floor, that our summits become their base camps, that the ground we take by faith today is the ground they get to live in by sight tomorrow. And so we do everything we can to see the next generation flourish and everything that God has created for them to be. And when we get to back to school, it reminds us what an incredible opportunity we have to bring hope into their lives. Like parents, you have the opportunity to bring the hope of Jesus into your home. Teachers, you get to bring the hope of Jesus into the classroom. Coaches, you get to bring the hope of Jesus to the field or to the court. Administrators, you get to bring the hope of Jesus to the system or the school or the district or whatever it might be. And so we believe there is hope for our families. There is hope for the classroom. There is hope for the field. There is hope for the schools in Jesus' name that we believe this generation is not just a statistic that we're writing off. They are generation hope. And we get to spend our lives helping them experience the hope of Jesus. So I would just encourage you, regardless of how old you are, whether you're a young adult or you're 85 years old, what if you just said, God, would you just help me this semester give the hope of Jesus to somebody in the next generation this semester? Would you use me, God? Here I am, use me. Help me tell of your wonders from my generation to the next generation that they can go further and farther than we ever did. So back to school season. So glad that you're here. Next week, we're going to kick off a new series called The Ascent. You got an invite card when you came in. I am really excited about this series. We're going to talk about going to new places with God. And if you've been stuck in your life in a place where maybe you just feel bored and disillusioned, maybe you feel a little bit disconnected or lonely, Maybe you feel like your life doesn't really matter. Or you're just kind of tired of the way everything is. This is going to be a great sermon series for you because we're going to go to some new places with God. And this is going to be a great series to invite people in your life to. And so if you think of that one person in your life, usually we just kind of wait for Easter or Christmas. No, who in your life needs the hope of Jesus? This is the series to use this invite card, put it on social media, hand it out, say, hey, would you come? My, my church is doing a new message series next week, going to new places with God. I think you'll love it. Like no pressure, no strings attached. I'll pick you up. I'll take you out for breakfast. We'll meet in the atrium. We'll have a cup of coffee. Whatever it is, do whatever you can to get them here. Because I'm believing in this series, some people are going to have an encounter with Jesus and find hope in him. See, if we're going to be a movement of hope for the city and beyond, we actually have to move and offer hope to other people, okay? So that's what that series is gonna be all about. Start that next week. What we're gonna to do today is finish up the series that we're in called Unhurry. 
See, right before Back to School, we took this two little week series and we kind of put it in there. And we're talking about how to have a summer life in the midst of a fall calendar. And we said last week that I don't know about you, but I'm not ready for summer to be over. Anybody else agree with that? Come on. I'm ready for the heat to be done in Jesus' name, but I am not ready for the summer to be over because we love the summer. Come on, the summer is full of rest and, and relaxing and relationships. It's when we're present and connected and barbecues and picnics and life. And we talked about last week, the reason we love summer so much is because it is a reflection of the kingdom of God. All the things you love about the summer, the vibrancy, being present and connected, resting, it's just a prophetic picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. This is why Romans 14 says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. That's the summer, isn't it? Things are right, there's peace, and you're full of joy. And then it's amazing how we step into the fall and all of a sudden righteousness, peace, and joy go off the table and in comes all of the activities and the busyness and the calendar and the practices and the travel and the trips and the commitments and the this and the that. And with all of that stuff comes the stress and the anxiety and the worry and the fear and the depression and that sense of constantly feeling overwhelmed. And we talked about last week that just because you go into a new season doesn't mean the summer has to end because if the kingdom of God is a reflection of the summer, then Jesus offers us the summer life all year long. We just have to have the faith to reach out and take a hold of it. And so we started last week and we just kicked it off. And just as a recap for you, we said, if you want to live a summer life, regardless of how busy things are, you got to seek God first. We said, if you make Jesus your one thing, he'll give you the grace for the many things in your life. And then we said, when it gets busy, we got to learn to worship instead of worry. Because you can worship or you can worry, but you can't do both. And then we said, we need to learn to honor the Sabbath, honor the gathering of the people of God around the presence of God and let him reset our perspective every time we come into this place. And then we said, we got to invite God into our calendar. That we got to give him administrative rights of what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. And the reason all of this matters is because hurry, maybe more than anything else, keeps us from following Jesus. If we're honest, being in a hurry, being busy, constantly being overwhelmed, maybe more than anything else in our lives, keeps us from following Jesus. See, I would bet that you're here today because something inside of you desires to follow Jesus. You want to know God. You want to move forward. You want to experience more of the life that he has to offer you. But our lives are so full and so busy that we get disconnected and distracted. we got so much stuff in our life that there's like no room for anything else. And then we end up with what I call calendar dread. Where you actually dread the things that are on your calendar that you put there. That's the paradox of the whole thing. And you wake up in the morning and you look at it and you're trying to figure out how can I lie, cheat, steal, somehow, some way, find a way to not have to do all the things I got to do today. Anybody else want to be honest in church today? Come on. And the, the paradox of the whole thing is this, is it is impossible to live a kingdom life if you're always in a hurry. It's impossible to be healthy and whole and flourishing and follow Jesus if you're always in a hurry. But what ends up happening is we get so busy and we think we're living life, but we forget that life is found in the space. Life is found in the margins. Life is found in the quiet. 
In fact, if you think of your life, I would submit to you that the greatest moments, the greatest experiences, the greatest discoveries of your life didn't happen when you were hurried or busy. They happened when you were in the quiet, when you were slowed down. Why? Because it's when things slow down that we have time to think and dream and pray and talk and connect and be present. It's where we hear the whisper of God and discover revelation and find the breakthroughs that he offers us. In fact, this is why Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. In a world that tells you to hurry up and be busy and be stressed out, God gives you permission to rest. If you ever thought that it was God that was driving your life and making it busy and overwhelming, this verse blows that up. He says, be still and know that I am God. He says, it's when you slow down that you'll actually know or experience or discover my goodness, my grace, my compassion, and my kindness. Be still and know that I am God. Which means we have to ask ourselves this question. Is it possible to be connected to God if I'm always in a hurry? Is it possible to actually know God if my life is always busy based on what he says here? See, I think we got to be real honest with each other about the area that we live in. Like in this region where we live, this is a really fast, busy area. Anyone else want to agree with that? Like, come on. I talk to people all the time that move here from other states, other cities. They move here. They're like, it's just like blinding fast here. Like it's so busy and so overwhelming. And then within two years, they kind of acclimatize and catch up to speed. And then they're, they're going and it's all they know. And we have to remember John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And he doesn't care how he does it. And one of the greatest ways that he steals and destroys your life is by making you always be in a hurry. See, if Satan can't stop you, he'll get behind you and he'll push. Come on. If he can't slow you down or stop you, he'll get behind and he'll push. He'll speed things up till you become so overwhelmed you can't even keep up. You see, what I'm trying to tell you is just because the world is handing out free tickets to the crazy train doesn't mean you need to take one. Come on. The world is handing them out like free candy left and right. You want a ticket to the crazy train? And we're just like, sure, what is it? And we take it and we watch everyone else in our life. Well, they're all getting on the crazy train. And we're like, I guess I should too. And then the thing just takes off. Come on. But when was the last time you made a decision in your life? Just because everyone else is doing it, I guess I should do. That's terrible wisdom. You see, what I'm trying to tell you is that you don't have to get on the crazy train. Your boss can go on a crazy train. Your spouse can go on a crazy train. Your kids can go on this crazy train. Your parents can go on a crazy train. But you don't have to. There is a better way in Jesus' name. You see, I think we have to stop in a, for a sense and just kind of ask ourselves this question. Like, did you ever wonder why we always seem to be in a hurry? Like, before you can get off the crazy train, sometimes you just got to actually stop and say, like, why am I always in a hurry? 
Why is life always busy and overwhelming? Like I get a season and we're all busy in different seasons and it could be, but why does that become normal? And it's like all we know. Did you ever just stop and ask yourself why? See, I think the reason we're always in a hurry, we're always busy is because at the end of the day, we still believe that we're in control. We believe we're responsible to make it happen. We believe that we're on our own and we got to pull it all together. See, somewhere deep inside of here, I still think we really believe that there is something to earn, something to prove, or something to achieve. That we believe we have to make ourselves significant. See, somewhere way in here, I think we really believe that we are what we do. And if I believe that I am what I do, then I'm going to do as many things as possible with the hopes of becoming somebody, becoming significant in some way. So we buy into this lie that a busy life is a significant life and a hurried life is an influential life. And so we rip through life doing all this stuff, trying to become someone. And in a sense, what we're doing is we're trying to pay for our past or secure our future. And we start thinking things like this. We don't say it out loud, but we think, we think it's irresponsible to rest. It's irresponsible to slow down. It's irresponsible to take a break or to say no to something. In fact, we think it's responsible to worry. It's responsible to be stressed out and carry that burden. Because if I don't carry it, who's going to pick it up? Know what I'm talking about? Come on. But it is responsible to be still and know that he is God. I mean, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work, so that no man can boast. Come on, if you got saved by grace, then why do you want to live by your own effort? If you got saved by resting in Jesus, why do you want to spend your life in a constant hurry? See, here's what I want you to hear from me. I think we have forgotten what Jesus has done for us, and that's why we're always in a hurry. I think at the end of the day, we have forgotten that everything that ever has been or ever will be required from you has ever been paid in full. I think we've forgotten that Jesus has already earned God's unending favor for us. I think we've forgotten that Jesus has already achieved unending victory for us. I think we've forgotten that Jesus has already proved everything that will have to be proved on our behalf. I think we have forgotten that Jesus has already made us significant. That he is our source and our supply. I think we have forgotten that he has established our identity, reconciled our relationship, and declared our destiny once and for all. Come on. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, it said he sweat drops of blood. When the righteous blood of Jesus mingled with the sweat of humanity, in that moment, the blood of Jesus broke the curse of a hurried, stressed out, anxious, overwhelmed, striving life in Jesus' name. And now we get to live in a posture of rest. Oh, come on. Are you with me on that? You see, you're like, I don't know that I I believe that. I, I hear you. But what you have to understand is that a hurried life comes from an unsettled soul. So I'm trying to tell you. If you are unsettled in here, you'll always be in a hurry out here. Why? Because you don't believe it. You don't believe that your past is forgiven, your future is secure, that you're already significant, that you've already been set free. And so we try to do all this stuff to become, or we try to do all this stuff just to numb the raging storm within us. Which means the opposite is true. An unhurried life comes from a settled soul. 
when I know who Jesus is and what he has done, I, I can be settled in my life. And so the question I would ask you is, what does your calendar tell you about what's going on in here? Come on, Ephesians 2.6 says, And God raised us up and seated us with him, with Jesus, in the heavenly realms. In Jesus' name, we've been raised up. We're seated in heavenly realms with Jesus. And you sit down when the work is Finished. done. Thank you, Joseph. Finished would be another acceptable answer. <laughs> when it's done. When you finish mowing the yard, when you finish your day at work, when you finish your day at school, you come in and you sit down because the work is done. And if that's where we are in Jesus, it means rest is not your finish line. It's your starting point. Rest isn't something you got to go get. It's something he's already given us in Jesus' name. Now combine that with the next verse that says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Come on, you're not supposed to be crushed by your life. You're supposed to be resting in Jesus, allowing him to crush Satan and the anxiety and the stress and the worry and the fear under your feet as you rest in him. If you rest in Jesus, he fights for you. That's what I'm trying to tell you. One last verse, Hebrews 4 says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. It's kind of comical. Make every effort to enter that rest. Work really hard, do all you can, try in every way, labor with all effort to enter his rest. You know what he's saying? Do whatever you need to do to believe that Jesus not only offers you rest, but that he is your rest. Because he offers you a better way of life. And I know some of you are sitting here and you're looking at me, you're like, bro, I didn't understand anything you just said. Rest, seating, Satan, crushing, I, what, I don't know. My life is busy. It's overwhelming. You're just lucky I got here today. I, like, like it took everything in me. Okay, here's what I tried to do. I just tried to build your faith there for a second. I want to make it really practical for you because the truth is our lives are so busy sometimes. That's why it's hard to follow Jesus that we can't even hear what God wants to say to us. So let me try to make it real practical for you. Sometime this summer, it was probably 9, 10 o'clock at night. And I, my kids were tucked in bed and I went down and I sat at the, uh, the dining room table in our, in our kitchen and there was a thousand piece Avenger puzzle that Colleen must have got for my kids that day and they had started it. So here's this thousand piece Avenger puzzle. Not a single piece is connected. It's just pieces everywhere, you know, as far as the eye can see. And I sat down and I wasn't thinking much and I just kind of sat there and just started playing with one or two of the pieces and, and, and pause for a second. If you were here last week, I, I told you, I like the summer me better than the fall me. The summer me would build a puzzle. The fall me wouldn't touch a puzzle. And so I'm sitting there, 30 minutes go by, and I get like maybe one or two pieces. And now I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do this thing. Okay. So now I'm in on it. It's like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. I'm going to build this puzzle. So what's the first thing that I did? I grabbed the box top and I stared at it. And I started to look at the box top because I needed to look at all the Avengers guys, all where they were, how the puzzle, what's the vision, what's the picture, how does this whole thing work, right? That's how you start a puzzle. Okay, pause for a second. Did you ever wonder why the world is fascinated with the Avengers? You're like, man, you think all kinds of questions all the time. I do trying to help you out with something. But did you ever wonder why? Why does it seem like every month they can come out with a new superhero movie and it's like the new best-selling movie of all time? You're like, how is this even possible that people keep doing it? Well, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, here's the reality. Think of superheroes. Superheroes have superpower and they go and they fight evil. Okay. Superhero movies speak to the destiny that's already within us. 
See, in Jesus, you're created to move in supernatural power by the Holy Spirit, destroying the works of the devil. Jesus came in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to destroy the works of the devil. He sends us to do the same thing, to fight giants, to move mountains, to walk on water. And so when people flock to superhero movies, they don't even realize what they love about it is it is speaking to the divine destiny that God has hardwired in their soul and it's calling something out of them. And, and Black Panther and Thor are just really cool. So it's worth going to just see it. That's probably why most people go, but it does speak to their destiny. Okay, so anyway, so I looked at all the Avengers, got the box top, and then for all of you puzzle people, the very next thing I did was what? Build the borders. You separate all the pieces out and you get the borders, and once you get the borders and the edges built, then all of a sudden it's amazing is how the pieces start coming together. And all of a sudden it makes this picture, and a few hours later, finished the thousand-piece puzzle thing, went to bed, woke up the next morning, my kids saw it, and I was super dead. Okay. Now, a few weeks later, the Lord brought that back to my mind and he said, hey, that, that's how you build your life. The same way you built that puzzle that night is, is actually how you build your life. And I started thinking about it. I was like, oh my goodness, it's, it's, he's right. Of course he's right. He's, got, he's always right. But, <laughs> but he's right. And I thought about it. I thought like, okay, in a busy world where all this stuff, all these puzzle pieces of life are flying at us, how do you start? You've got to start with the box top. You've got to start by having a vision for your life of what it's supposed to look like. Proverbs 29, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. A vision is a revelation from God. It's a preferred future. It's a picture of who you want to be and where you want to go. And when you've got a vision, it's really easy to be restrained, to go forward to the right direction, to say no to all the other things that fall on the outside. See, you can sit there and you can say, no, people with a vision live busy lives. No, only people with a vision are the ones who can live an unhurried life because they know what to say yes to and what to say no to. So my question is, is do you have a vision? You have a vision for your life. Because if not, what are you building? What's the picture? What are you hoping it becomes in the end? And if you're like, I don't, I don't know, 20 years, I don't. Okay, do you have a vision just for the fall? And if you don't, Acts 2 tells us this. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. He says, sons, daughters, young and old will be given a vision and a dream from God if we just ask him for it. In other words, he has an amazing box top for you of what your life is supposed to look like. And once you got the vision, then you got to build the borders. This is why Psalm 16 it says, the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places for me. The borders, the edges of your life have been set by God and they have fallen in pleasant places. You see, having borders in your life doesn't limit your life in the kingdom. It actually expands your life. And if you read the Bible, whether it's creation, the Old Testament, Jesus, the New Testament, the first century church, it's the same four borders for all of us. You see, as you start to build your life and you got a vision, you got to start with the borders. And the first one is just my relationship with God. That is the first and initial border that you got to build. And then you got to build the next border, which is my relationship with others. And then the next border is my engagement with the mission of God. And then the last one is my unique calling. 
you say, how do I do my life in the midst of a busy and hurried world with all these pieces coming? You got to build the borders. My relationship with God, my relationship with others, my engagement with the mission of God and my unique calling. Same four borders for every person who has ever lived. This is called the great commandment. This is called the great commission. And this is your unique design in Jesus name. It's the same thing for all of us. And so as those pieces come at you, should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? Should we take this on? Should we not take that on? All this stuff. You can literally use this as a framework and just ask yourself this question. Will this help my relationship with God? Should I do this? Should I take this puzzle piece? Should I use this thing in life? Will this help my relationship with God? Why does it start there? Because all of life is about your relationship with God. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He says all of life is about walking with him and knowing him, being with him. And isn't it amazing how, in a sense, when we start to do this, we often make decisions that actually take us away from our relationship with God. If Jesus is the Prince of Peace, there is no rest apart from him. And so the more I move away from him, the more restless my soul becomes. So you have to ask yourself, will this help my relationship with God? And then ask yourself the next one, will this help my relationship with others? As you start to decide how to live your life in a busy world, will this help my relationship with others? Jesus says the greatest command is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. He says it's all about loving God and loving people. You see, what you have to understand is that people are not an interruption to your life. They are your life. People are not an interruption to your dream, your destiny, your desire. No, they are your life. This is why 1 Peter 4 tells us, 1 Peter 4 tells us, above all, love each other deeply. Above all, have a really good job. Above all, have lots of activities. Above all, make sure you're really significant and really busy and really influential. That's what it says, right? Above all, love each other. Ask yourself the question, will this help my relationship with others? And then as you do that, you can go to the third one and say, will this help my engagement with the mission of God? I realize for a lot of us in this room, we don't ever think about that. But what we forget is that we were created to be superheroes. To have the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit destroying the works of the devil, helping other people find Jesus and discover him to use our gifts and our abilities and our talents to build up and strengthen the church, to be a part of what God is doing on this earth. This is why Matthew 28 says, therefore, go and make disciples. This isn't just for a few of us. This is for all of us. And this is a border. It's a boundary in your life that if you're going to actually build your life in a non-chaotic way, this has to be part of the borders. And then the last one is, will this help my unique calling? We are not robots. Everybody said amen in Jesus' name. We're unique. We're different. And he's created you to do things that only you were created to do. I can't do it. Person next to you can't do it. Person on the other side of you can't do it. He's made you to do it. And sometimes you got to ask, will this help my unique calling? Ephesians 2 says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, there is a unique calling and destiny on your life. And you say, well, what is it? That is the answer for another series, another day. <laughs> in the meanwhile, if you don't know, ask him because you're supposed to discover it. And it has something to do with you being a hope carrier. 
as a coach, as a teacher, as a parent, as an artist, as a creator, as a leader. He's made you to do something. And so you start looking at this reality. This is the borders of your life. Will this help these things? And it starts to become really easy to live a healthy life. Come on, are you with me on this? I'm helping somebody out in Jesus' name. I mean, come on, all the pieces of the puzzle are coming at you. And like, let's get real practical with it. Like this, like, should I take this new job? All this stuff's coming at you. These are real decisions you make every day. Should I take this new job? Well, you start and you just say, will this help my relationship with God? Well, I'm going to have to travel eight days a week. So I probably will never be able to be a church. And will this help my relationship with others? I'm going to have to work 17,259 hours a week. So I'll probably never see my family. And will this help me engage the mission of God? No, because I'll be a completely a part of the mission of that company. Is this my unique calling? I'm not even passionate about this job, but boy, am I going to make some money. Should I take this job? To which most people in DFW say, yes. <laughs> to which wise kingdom people say, no, it doesn't fit the vision. How about this? Should my kid play this sport? Or students, should you join this team? Will this help? My unique calling. As a parent, you think, yeah, I want my kid to learn commitment and teamwork and working with others. So yeah, and you know what? I think they're going to make a lot of friends in this new season of school. So this will be really good and this will help. So yeah, it's a puzzle piece that fits right in there and it's awesome. But then because your kid is good, all of a sudden people come around and they want them to join like nine other select teams in that same season. And all of a sudden you'll never be able to be at church. You guys will never be able to spend time together as a family except for driving back and forth to practices and games. They won't ever be able to be a part of Hub. And guess what? The kid will probably burn out and hate it in the end anyways. So should we do all nine teams? Probably not. But the one, yes. Are you hearing me on this? Come on, how about this one? Should I get in a group or join a serve team? You're like, well, that's not a question I would ask because I don't want to do that. <laughs> I know, that's why I'm using it. Here's the interesting part. You don't get to use the puzzle for just the things you're interested in. Will this help my relationship with God? Yeah, talking about Jesus with other people probably would. Will this help my relationship with others? Yeah, I'll probably meet some other people that are following Jesus. Will this help me engage the mission of God? Yeah, because if I'm honest, I don't really do any of the mission of God stuff. You know, it's not really for me right now, but yeah, I would have a gift and a talent I would have to use on a team. And would this help me? I'd probably discover more of my unique calling. So all of a sudden, even though I may not want that piece, I need that piece for the picture to come to pass because ain't nobody wants to build a puzzle with one piece missing in the end. Right? So this is like real stuff, man. You hear me? This is like real stuff. And if you do this, you're going to have to get good at these things. This is real quick. You're going to have to be able to just say no. Going to be a lot of pieces that don't fit in here, and you're going to have to be okay saying no. You don't have time for everything. You always have time for the right things. And at the end of your life, God will not ask you what you did with all the pieces outside the border. He will ask you, did you build the picture I gave you to build? The vision and the borders that I gave you. Second thing is, turn off your tech. If we're honest, we lose more time to our tech than maybe anything else. I would bet a lot of us in this room, if we would just turn off our tech or limit it, we wouldn't be busy anymore. 
It sucks in so much of our time. We don't even have any idea. And then we look at it and we see what Susie is doing and we think, oh, like Susie's life is so good. She's got all these amazing pieces. I need to add them into my life, even though they don't fit in your puzzle. You start shoving them in there because Susie's doing it. So you got to do it too. And we sit there and we look at people and we say, how do they do it all? The answer is they don't. They've got no vision, no puzzle. Their life is a disaster. And as a pastor who sees it all the time behind the stuff, Instagram isn't real. You're like, my Instagram is. Well, congratulations. But for most people, it's not. They can't, you can't do it all. God didn't make you to do it all. He made you to do this in your life. I challenged our staff this week to limit their social media time 30 minutes a day. Put a filter, a grid that pops up and says, time's up. You'd be amazed what you'd get back. Third thing is, remember, less is more. In the kingdom of God, less is always more. God can do more with our little. And what we have to understand is more is not better. Better is better. More is not better. Better is better. And then the last thing is this, do whatever you do with excellence. Before you start adding in everything else, just stop and evaluate your life and say, in all honesty, am I doing things with excellence? If the answer is no, you don't need more puzzle pieces. You need to go ahead and align the pieces that you've already got. Are you with me on this? Come on, this is it. Go to the blank one for me. This is the reality. And as those pieces come at your life, you get to make the decision of what are you gonna do? And isn't it amazing how the faster life gets, the less we care about these borders. The faster life gets, the more my relationship with God, my relationship with my people, my, rela- my engagement in the mission and my discovery of my unique calling, they're the ones that we ditch first because we're so overwhelmed for pieces that maybe shouldn't even be a part of the picture we're creating. You see, this doesn't limit your life. This expands your life in the kingdom of God. I would submit to you that you are better with a hundred-piece puzzle with righteousness, peace, and joy than a thousand-piece puzzle with stress, anxiety, worry, and depression. You are better. Come on. Because the reason we go to the thousand piece that stresses us out is we think it makes us more significant. Come on, you're already significant in Jesus. So now let's live a life that's actually enjoyable that he created for us. And if you don't use these four, here's my question for you. What are your borders? Because like it or not, you got edges in your life. Every day you're deciding yes or no. What are your borders and how do you decide? You might not even be aware of it, but it might be things like, is this going to make me a lot of money? Is this going to make me happy? Is this what I want to do? Will this make me look good to others? I mean, what are your borders? Because you got some. But maybe they're not creating the box top picture that you want. See, I'm convinced for so many of us, we have so much stuff, good things. These aren't even bad things. Good things in our lives, but don't necessarily belong in our puzzle in this season. And we try to smash them all together and there's no border, there's no rhyme or reason. So everything's just this big, funky mess all over the place. And then we wonder, why does it feel like I can never get off the crazy train? Because you don't have a vision and you don't have any boundaries. And you don't have any borders of what you're using as your filter for yes or no or what your life is supposed to look like. And so God can't even give us the things that he has for us. See, let me pull it all together with this. Like, this is how Jesus lived. We said last week, Jesus, 
did more in three years than all of us could do together in a lifetime, and he was never busy. He was never in a hurry. Why? Because he had a vision, and it was all about his borders. He knew these were the boundaries of his life. That's why it was easy for him to make decisions. That's why for 30 years he could be hidden as a carpenter. Come on, some of us can't even be hidden for 30 minutes without posting something for somebody to like. That's an identity issue. I mean, there's a reason that Jesus was able to say no to the crowd when they wanted to force him king. He's like, this falls outside the boundaries. This is why when Satan tempted him to prove himself, he didn't have to do it. He's like, nah, it doesn't fall in the vision or the boundaries. That's why when the Pharisees demanded him, show us a sign to show us you're the Messiah. He's like, nope, this doesn't fall in here. I don't need to do that. That's why when he's on the cross, they say, come down if you're really the son of God. He goes, nope, I got a vision for my life and that's outside the borders because this is my unique calling to die for the world. So I'm not coming down. Amazing. And because he lived this way, he had space or margin for God to give him amazing pieces. If you look at Jesus' life, most of his miracles were done when everyone else was in a hurry and he was in a posture of rest. It's fascinating. The disciples want to send everyone away and Jesus is sitting there with the crowd of 5,000 people. He's like, no, let's feed them. Or how about when he's going to another town and a man interrupts him and says, my daughter's dying, will you please come? He's got the space, the margin to do it. He says, okay. And while he's going on that, a woman shows up and interrupts the interruption. Grabs a hold of him to get healing. Now, if that's me and I got three years to change the world, I'm like, woman, get off. And you just move, move along. I ain't got time for this. Or how about when he's going along and the blind men start calling out to him. He's walking right by them and they call out. He's got somewhere to go. But he's got the space to go over. If it's me, I'm like, I ain't got time for this. Be healed in Jesus' name. Done. Open your eyes. Keep going. He goes over. He touches him. He looks at him. He, come on. Here's my question for you. Do you have boundaries and borders in your life that has created space for God to give you the pieces of your life that you need, not necessarily that you want? The pieces you need, like invitations, interruptions, and opportunities from God. Because guess what? The greatest moments and discoveries and experiences in your life with your God, with your people, with the purpose you're here for and your unique calling don't come when you're always in a hurry. They come when you got space to be still and know that I am God. You see, at the end of Jesus' life, when he's going to the cross in the upper room, he says to the disciples this really interesting thing in John 14. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I've always read this and thought Jesus was just giving us this arbitrary peace, like peace in the midst of, of chaotic circumstances. It's not. He's about to go to the cross and he's saying to the guys, hey guys, you've watched me now for three years live an unhurried life in a busy and chaotic world. So I'm now giving you that peace. Jesus wants to give you the peace that he has in his mind. So your mind doesn't have to be anxious. He's given you the peace that he had in his soul. So your soul doesn't have to be restless and full of torment. He's given you the peace he had in his body. So your body can be healthy and whole. He's given you the peace he had in the midst of the circumstances and the demands and the relationships and the requirements. He didn't just give you random peace. He gave you the very peace he had that allowed him to live an unhurried life in a hurried world. All you got to do is by faith receive that. 
That's what it means to be seated in the heavenly places with Christ. We don't have to make up our own peace. We have his peace for our anxiety and our depression and our stress and our worry. Because if he didn't have it, we're not supposed to have it either in Jesus' name. See, what Jesus does for us, go back to the box, please. Is Jesus shows us it's possible to have a really big life in an unhurried way. Somebody in this room, you need to hear this. Having boundaries does not limit your life. It expands your life. Jesus had the biggest life of anyone who walked on this earth. And he was the one who most understood his boundaries and had the clearest picture of what his life was supposed to look like. That's why he lived a big life in an unhurried way. And he offers that to us today. And I get it. Some of you, you're in here. It is so hard to hear because your life is literally, you got so many puzzle pieces in every direction. You can't even, okay, don't worry about what was, just start from today. Don't worry about what what it was or even what is. Just say from today forward, this will be my boundaries and I'm not taking any new puzzle pieces unless they fit in this because I want to get off the crazy train and walk in the spirit of peace in Jesus' name. Come on, close your eyes with me. Here's my question for you. What do you think the Holy Spirit is saying to you today? Like in this moment right now, your life, your reality, come on, what is the spirit of peace? I want to speak. I think he's inviting, inviting us to rest in him so he can go and fight for us. I think he's inviting a lot of us to say, hey, that puzzle that you've been building with no real rhyme or reason other than the world says it should look like that. I think he's saying, I got a better way. I speak over your life today that God has an amazing box top for your life. It's bigger. It's fuller. It's more vibrant and full of life than you could have ever thought. And he's given you borders and boundaries so you can discover it and live in peace. Sometimes we just have to have the courage and the faith to say, okay, God, I surrender to it. I want the pieces you have for my life, not the pieces I want for my life. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am good, that I am with you. And back to school, in your marriage, at work, in your finances, in your sickness, in your pain. I am with you in your anxiety and your depression and your worries and your cares and your fears and your trouble. Be still and let me be God. 
and let me lead you to green pastures. Jesus, thank you for your peace, which right now I declare over every one of us in this room, not just peace, but the peace of Jesus for your mind, your heart, your soul, your body, and your life. You have nothing to prove, nothing to earn, nothing to achieve. You can go and live a big life in freedom in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done. We receive it. In your name we pray. Amen.